right, everybody, happy Sunday morning, and uh, welcome to Calvary Church. We're glad that you guys are with us. Hope that you've gotten some delicious, free, adequate coffee this morning, um, and things are going well for you. If you're visiting, if you're new, and even if you're not, what we always say to remind one another of what we're trying to do here is what we're striving to do together is to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. Build a body of disciples who do more than just sit here and talk about how great we are and how much we like each other, but in addition to caring for each other, we also want to be purposeful in reaching out and personally and collectively reaching and impacting other people. And so we're just excited about what God's allowing us to do in those things. Uh, excited about different opportunities in the body to connect and to grow and to care. And like we said, I think last week, man, the ladies a week or so ago had an amazing time. Christmas in July, went Christmas caroling around the neighborhood. No, I don't know, but they did great stuff. And it was awesome for a bunch of ladies to get together. And we have an opportunity for the guys to get together. There will not be any Christmas caroling uh, in July. But what there will be is a minor league baseball game. And we have, I have messed up the dates of this so many times, I have to at least correct this so I don't get tarred and feathered. But uh, hey, if you're a guy, we'd love to invite you to a men's night event on August the 5th, and it's to a minor league baseball game. There's information in your bulletin and uh, information online, and I encourage you to grab the bulletin to check it out. And so great opportunity to connect and uh, be part of the body and get to know some dudes as you eat some overpriced popcorn. So put that on your calendar uh, and come on out to it. And we're so grateful that part of what it means to build a body and to build disciples and to try to personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. Man, we have an amazing, I have the privilege of serving with an amazing ministry team that uh, as pastors and staff that is working hard so many ways behind the scenes that you all never see. And so we've added someone new to our team, and we're so excited about it. Uh, Danielle Talissero is going to be joining us as a nursery director. That's been the role that Amy Habush has been doing. And so uh, Danielle's got a lot of gifts and abilities and experience, and there's information in the bulletin about who she is. So if you've got a child, she'll be the one overseeing that team. And we're excited because Amy Haboosh, who is in the back, what's up, Haboosh, uh, is not leaving our team. She's foolish enough to continue to work with our team. But uh, man, she's actually going to expand her role and opportunity and take over just as an office coordinator uh, and an assistant to some of us pastors. And so we're grateful for the new people God's adding, and we're grateful for Amy's continued service to us. So did want to make you guys aware of that in case new emails uh, come out or whatever. So uh, that's what I wanted to say. I'm excited about Revelation, and we got an exciting week coming up that we're going to talk about a little later. And so let me pray, and we will jump into what God has for us this morning. Father, there is, um, man, just a lot of excitement about what you're doing at this church and in this body and in new folks and people who've been here a long time, and you get all the praise and glory for that. And thank you for your kindness to each of us individually and for your steadfast love and for all the ways that you show your grace and your forgiveness to us. Father, we're grateful for Jesus, our King, who is holding everything together and I pray for people this morning who are worn out trying to hold things together, that they will be able to rest as they realize that their king 
is holding everything together. And he is sovereign, he is good, and that the Spirit will bring peace to them. Help us as we open up your word, God. And as always, you're sovereign. You know who's here, you know why we're here, and you have something you want to accomplish. And so be with us this morning as we press into these words for your glory so that we might know Jesus better and we might live well for him by dependence on the Spirit. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Um, do anybody here have a pet goldfish? Any pet goldfish fans in the house? A f- a f- well, that's a tricky question, right? We always tend to end up at, with goldfish because um, <clears throat> there's been something that was done many, many years ago here at Calvary and then recently was resurrected called the Goldfish Races, where our student ministry team get a bunch of goldfish and they put them in gutters and somehow you try to persuade your goldfish to outswim the other goldfish so that you get an amazing cash prize at the end of the night or whatever they give out. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> there's always like... Um, you know, about 5,000 goldfish left behind. And so then there's this desperate effort to, like, adopt the goldfish because we, we want all the goldfish to have happy, safe places to go, right? And so through those experiences, we have always ended up with at least a goldfish or two who have had many happy, wonderful, joyful years in our house in their little bowl swimming around with our family. Now, the one thing about goldfish, I don't know if you've heard this. Have you ever heard that goldfish uh, have a three-second memory? Has anybody heard that? There's this rumor, this urban legend going out there that goldfish have a three-second memory. That's, I actually read about this in some leadership blog uh, a couple of months ago. I am a nerd, and I play online chess all the time, and I want to beat these random people who I'm playing against the world on, and so I am even more of a nerd, and I watch online YouTubes about how to play chess. And in one of the online YouTubes, there was this this lesson, this video, about how when you're playing chess, you should think like a goldfish, because apparently, according to this, goldfish have this three-second memory. So I've always heard that. I thought that was interesting, but... This, if you get on the internet and you're Googling it right now, is a big issue of controversy because there are all sorts of people who have way too much time on their hands who are like, no, goldfish have memories of like five minutes, and there are studies that people have done. (laughs) It's way too much time on their hands where like they drop a little food at one corner and they see the little goldfish there, and the next day they they keep trying to train the goldfish to see if they remember. And so you can spend all sorts of time thinking about, does a goldfish have a three-second memory? Does a goldfish have a three-year memory? I don't have any idea how long a goldfish can remember things. But I know that for myself, sometimes my memory... Uh, It can be kind of short, right? I don't always remember things, and sometimes the reason I'm talking about that is because my memory can be short when it comes to sermons or when it comes to things that together as a group we've talked about on a Sunday morning. Um, I preach regularly here at Calvary Church. If you've been here, you've realized that. And, And literally, sometimes two weeks, like, go by, and I'm like, what in the world did I preach about two weeks ago? Or someone will come up to me and say, hey, I just listened to your sermon from last week, and man, I really appreciate that. And I'm like, 
oh, that's good. And I'm thinking, what did I preach about last week? I sometimes feel like if a goldfish actually has a three-second memory, I sometimes have a goldfish-type memory about what I've even preached about and spent 20 hours a week preparing and then spent 46 minutes up here talking about. I sometimes, when I get in my car and drive away a week or so later, it slips out of my mind. And maybe... You have that same experience, and that, right, I I would imagine if I'm the guy that's doing it and I sometimes forget, that maybe for some of you, you sometimes are like, what did we even talk about last week, right? Like, I know we're in Revelation, but what did he cover? And I think it's particularly easy to forget things when we're a long book like the book of Revelation. Again, if you're visiting, if you're checking us out online, uh, what we do at Calvary is we open up a book of the Bible and we walk through it verse by verse, paragraph through paragraph, and we go from one book then to another book. And almost a year ago, we started the book of Revelation. We started it in the fall, and by the time this series ends at the end of August, it literally will almost be 52 Sundays or so that we've spent together in this. And perhaps when you're in a series for nearly a year, you forget what we talked about a month ago. You forget what we talked about three months ago. What did we talk about nine months ago? And so we're at this place in the book where we have covered a lot of ground, and we're about to enter this final structural section of the book. We're kind of in this last section with new ideas and new themes that build off of what we've learned before. And so I thought, as we're about to kind of move into the final box structurally of the book, it might be helpful for us just to kind of spend some time reviewing, like, where have we even been? right? What have we even talked about? What's gotten us to this point? Um, And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to start today with a review, and then we're going to kind of do a global review over everything uh, one of the weeks of August. And I just kind of want to try to get us up to speed with where we're going to be as we enter into this final conversations in the last few chapters of Revelation. So here's a few thoughts, right? You do not need to worry. I have actually looked and skimmed most every sermon that we've had on the book of Revelation up to this point. I am not going to re-preach every sermon that we've had on the book of Revelation up to this point. We're going to review it. It's going to be a high-level review. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through where we've been, and I'm just going to kind of, we're going to come up with like a little sentence or two to summarize what that section was about. And then I'm going to give a key verse or two that like, boom, these verses are the verses that kind of link with that idea that are the heart of the text. And then we're going to think about a takeaway. And my goal in this is really to make this a helpful resource for you. I'm grateful that a ton of you have been like, man, I'm learning a bunch in Revelation and I've never studied it or I've studied it before, but this is really helpful. And I just don't want this experience to be wasted. I mean, I I really hope that in three years, if you're hearing something about Revelation and Revelation 14, that this review can be a good resource for you, and you'll be like, boom, let me look back over my stuff and see in Revelation 14, and this will help you walk away from here with a pretty significant understanding of a huge book of the Bible that's so complicated uh, as we're done. I want it to be a cheat sheet, right? This is like if you're in the greatest decade ever in the world of the 80s, these are your cliff notes for you. What's the, oh, spark notes are the other things, but 
Cliff Notes are far more superior to those. So I'd encourage you to take notes, right? We put them in the bulletin. Uh, man, as we have the slides up, take some photos. Like I said, we did a class uh, for the past couple of weeks on a cultural issue of gender dysphoria, which was amazing. And literally almost every slide that went up, like hundreds of cell phones went in the air as if you too was behind me about to perform where the streets were in our name. So take photos, write some notes. I, don't, I want this to be helpful so that you can leave here with a strong understanding of a significant and huge book of the Bible. So, we're going to chronologically track the text, and here is what we... Let's jump into it. What was the first... Let's rewind. It was September. The leaves were turning. There was the smell of pumpkin spice lattes wafting through the air as you drove to Calvary Church. And what did we begin, if you were with us at that time, in our series of Revelation? The very first thing we talked about and thought about was just an introduction of it. And the very first verse of Revelation is Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and says, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him..." to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant, John. And from that, we kind of spent some time talking about John, and we talked about it might have been an elder at a church at the time, but it most likely was the disciple of Jesus, John, and we unpacked all of that stuff. And if you're going to scribble something in your Bible on a margin about what this first couple of verses were about. Here's like the section summary of this first part that we talked about. What we saw from Revelation 1, 1 through 2, and 9 through 11 is that John wrote Revelation on an island of Patmos where he was being punished for his faith. John, the person who wrote this, was being punished for his faith. The Holy Spirit came and inspired him to write this. And here is some verses that help us kind of grab onto that. Revelation 1.9 and Revelation 19. Revelation 1.9 and Revelation 19. And here's what right, these verses say. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What we talked about is that there was persecution going on in this time, in this era, and John refused to stop talking about Jesus. And because he was faithful, because he was diligent, because he maintained his faith, because he never wavered from his convictions and his belief, because of his focus on the word of God and his ongoing testimony for Jesus, he was facing some consequences. And his consequences were that if he was the pastor of, of pastoring a church as a disciple of Jesus, he was ripped away from his Christian community, he was taken away from his comfort, he was taken away from everything that gave him security, and he was living in exile in house arrest on this island. Not the story that he would have wanted. Not what he hoped would have happened to him because of his faith in Jesus. But yet, what's really interesting is in that place that he didn't necessarily want to be, in that situation that was hard, in that place that may not have made sense, in that moment when he felt like, I've lost control of life, man, God did something remarkable in that moment and in that place and in that season. And we see that in verse 19, which is the second of our key verses, where the Spirit, God, comes and says, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, 
and those that are to take place after this. John was in a moment he didn't want to be, but it was in that very moment that God used him and God used that situation to work through John to bring us the book of Revelation. God didn't waste that moment. God didn't waste that place. All that he was feeling, all that he didn't want to happen, in, it didn't take it away, but God was still able to redeem it and to work through it and to through it and John in that moment accomplish amazing things that you and I are studying today that can be of encouragement and our encouragement to us. Here's the takeaway. Here's a little bit of what we talked about then and the least we'll talk about now. Following Jesus can cost you something, but God often redeems that loss. Following Jesus, there are going to be moments in all of our lives when Jesus calls us to do something or when our commitment and our obedience to Jesus is going to cause us to lose something. It's going to cause us to have to give something up. There's going to be a cost to it. And sometimes that can be hard and that can be scary and that can be daunting. But many times what we see again and again and again and again through scriptures, you know what? Man, God redeems that moment. Many times in the scripture and many times in our story and in John's story, God didn't waste the pain. He didn't take away the pain. He didn't make it instantly better, but, but he didn't waste it and he leveraged it to do something through John for an amazing thing for the kingdom of Jesus. He redeemed it. And maybe this morning you're in a situation where you kind of feel a little bit like John. You're not off on an island <clears throat> looking out at the coastline three miles away all by yourself, but you're someplace that you feel all by yourself. You're someplace where maybe you're trying to follow Jesus and there's some pushback from it, there's some static from it. Maybe in your place where you know that Jesus is asking you to do something and your obedience to him is going to bring about a cost. And like we talk about a lot, and we've talked about a lot in the book of Revelation, many times in that moment where we think about is, well, if I follow Jesus, man, we worry so much about what it's going to cost us. And the encouragement to this book has been this, hey, don't miss out on the fact of what you might gain by following Jesus in that moment. We often have the worst case scenarios and man, it's going to be hard, I'm going to lose it. It could be. But man, you have no idea what Jesus wants to do through you. You have no idea how Jesus wants to use you. And many times being used by Jesus means following Jesus. And many times in life, following Jesus does come with a cost. But often God redeems that moment. Then after that, after we moved through John and the writer and the authorship and amazing pictures of the island of Patmos, we moved into a section that we were in pretty much for most of the fall and uh, leading right up to Christmas. And we studied uh, seven churches. If you remember, maybe you remember, we studied seven local churches that were actually in existence at that time. In early 90s AD, there were seven churches and seven communities, and they were located in the following towns. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. Ha, you do remember, right? I love that word. Just, hey, 
I hope sometime in the future moments of Calvary Church, somebody gets up here and just says Thyatira. That would be such an amazing thing, right? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And for most of the churches, there was something amazing that they were doing well, but there were also some things that they weren't doing well. And Revelation um, chapters 1, right, that was kind of, man, that, that section lasted a long time. It took us from chapter 1, verse 12, all the way to chapter 3, and we spent a few months or so in this. And here is the key verse that kind of showed us the big idea of that. So you can scribble this down if you want to. The key verse was Revelation 1, 12 through 13, and then again, key verses, verse 20. If you want to remember what this section is about, if you want to remember, well, what, what, what's the big idea in this moment? Revelation 1, uh, verses 12 through 13 and verse 20. And it was very symbolic, but here's what those verses tell us, right? John has this vision, and here's what we see. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, we talked about how that was Jesus, right? Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. What we saw in those verses, and then you can flip the next one, verse 20. And as for the mystery, the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Here's what we unpacked as we worked through that and exegeted it, that there's an image of Jesus. And Jesus is in the middle of these lampstands, and lampstands are things that cause light to be shown. You, you put a lampstand in, and the purpose of the lamp is to illuminate things, to give light and darkness, to, to shine brightly. And what we saw is that these lampstands were symbolic for churches. And in the middle of those churches stood Jesus. And we talked about how some of the symbolic language of him holding things and being present showed that he had control ultimately over those churches, that he had care for those churches, that he was present somehow spiritually within those churches, that in local churches, Jesus is controlling them, Jesus is caring for them, Jesus is present within them, and the goal of those local churches in that day and every local church in every day is to be a lamp, to be a lamp, to shine, right? We, we talked, I even think about how some silly illustration about grabbing your iPhone flashlight in the middle of the night, and man, that thing illuminates everything. And what churches are supposed to do, what we're supposed to do here in Trumbull, Connecticut, is we're supposed to shine. We're supposed to shine. We're not supposed to become inwardly focused. We're not supposed to become an elite country club clique. We're not supposed to be such an amazing family that we don't want to let anybody else into the room. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be cared for. We're supposed to be connected. We're supposed to pay attention to each other. But in addition to that, we're supposed to shine so that the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus can be seen through what we are together and what we are individually. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do individually. That's what we're supposed to do together. From that, here's the takeaway. The takeaway is this. That, right, well, well you, the big idea, right, is that, um, here's the section summary. Sorry, I skipped that. Here's the section summary. Jesus cares about churches, is in charge of churches, and wants churches to be effective lights for him. Jesus is, cares about churches, 
is in charge of churches and wants churches to be effective lights for him. That was all covered in that section. And here's the takeaway for you and me this morning. This is affirmation. That's the challenge for us, to be effective lights for him. But the reality is this, that in his grace, not because we deserve it, because God is showing grace upon us and has shown grace upon us, God is enabling Calvary to be an elective, effective light for him. That because of his grace, Man, there are amazing stories being told through the ways that together and individually we are depending on the Spirit to reflect Jesus. And man, God is working through that. Doesn't mean we've done what we need to do and put it on cruise control. It's a challenge to keep pressing into it. But I just want to give you two different examples about how we should be grateful for what Jesus is doing through us and in us and the challenge to continue to do that. On Monday... Uh, while all of you were home prepping for your 4th of July, uh, we, some of us were here working on Monday, right? Prepping for Summer Spectacular, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a, we weren't expecting anybody, and there was this random uh, doorbell ring. Ding dong! And so Jim Taylor so kindly went to go get it, and I was studying, and then uh, he brought this folks up to the hallway, and I went out to go see who they were and hear their story. And here's the amazing thing. There was this family, and mom and dad and kids. I think the oldest was 18 or so and trickling down in different ages. And they told us this amazing story about you guys. And they said, if my memory serves me correctly, that 18 years ago, they were traveling through Trumbull, Connecticut, either visiting family or on a trip. And it was later in the evening. And 18 years ago, right off this exit in front of Calvary Church, their car broke down. And they're Christians, and there's a Bible. They had a Bible on the floorboard or the dashboard somewhere. And somebody pulled in behind them. And the person who pulled behind them was a person who 18 years ago was part of this church body. They still could be here. I don't know. And this young family, this young couple who was in a place they weren't familiar with with a car broken down late at night on the side of the mirror thinking, what are we going to do? This person pulled in and was like, hey, you know what? We're part of that church right there. Can we help you out? And so what some of you did and what some people who have been part of Calvary at that time did was, man, they had them over to their house for dinner. They got their car towed to a mechanic. You put them up in a church. Uh, in, in a church. No, you didn't put them up in a church. We're not that nice. Nobody can sleep in this room. What, man, people from Calvary Church 18 years ago put them in a hotel. And then the next day or so when the car was done, the car was delivered back to the family, whoever from our church interacted with was there, and the family was traveling and said like, hey, you know, can we, we'd love to settle up with the mechanic. And you said, no, we got it. We got you. What about the hotel? No, we got you. And, and the comment was made, tell you what, if you're ever back in the area, why don't you swing by when you have some kids? And guess what? They were back in the area, and they had some kids. And as they were driving by, they just felt compelled, like, you know what? We just want to go close the loop, and we do want to swing back by, and they did. And their comment was words to the effect that they'd always heard about the love of Jesus. And as Christians, they'd always heard how Christians should be caring for other people, but they actually experienced the love of Jesus helping meet their needs when they didn't know what to do through a local body of believers, and it stuck with them. And they wanted their kids to understand that. That's being a light. 
That's an amazing legacy of what God has done in the past, an amazing challenge to be willing to be used by him to continue to do those things. Another way that historically we've been effective lights and we have the opportunity to continue to do that is through this awesome event that is going to kick off in just a few short hours. In a few short hours, we have this event here at Calvary that is called Summer Spectacular. And do you know why it's called Summer Spectacular? It's called Summer Spectacular because it's held in the summer and because it is spectacular, right? And the spectacular thing about Summer Spectacular, and here's what I'm going to do. If you are serving at Summer Spectacular, whether you put on your gray t-shirt or not, what, if you're serving in a role, I'd love to invite you to stand up, and we're just going to bring you guys up here because we're going to pray for this, okay? So start coming up here because how quickly you come up here determines how quickly I'm done with the sermon today. So, I mean, there's motivation right there, guys. Come on. So come on up. If you're serving, gray shirts, come on. And if it gets crowded here, you guys can just grab a seat in front if it gets crowded, right? Because there are a lot of you, which is amazing. And what some of you may not know, or people checking us out online or whatever, is for years, we are so blessed, and I don't say that word much, to have hundreds of kids, some of your kids, but the vast majority of the kids who are going to be here this week running through these hallways are kids from the community, and a vast majority of those kids in the community who are going to be here this week are kids who are not currently part of a gospel-believing, Bible-preaching church. And for seven days, this amazing group of people are going to give their time and their effort and their blood, sweat, and tears to try to be an effective light for Jesus, to try to show kids from all sorts of backgrounds. When, when you turn the static down about all the bad things that are said about evangelical Christians in today's culture, what it really means for a body just to show love of Jesus and care of Jesus, and in that, give truth. And so we have a great opportunity this week to once again be an effective light because all of these people are taking time off of work. They've not gone on summer camps. They've put themselves in a place where they said, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to show up and put on the shirt, and man, I'd love it if you work through me, and we would love that. And so here's what I'm going to do in a minute. I'm just going to pray for you guys on behalf of all of us. Thank you all so much. Uh, man, amazing. And every year, this is not Baptistic pastoral exaggeration, but, well, maybe not every year. <laughs> Many years. Come sometime in late August or September, we're going to get an email. And that email is going to be from a mom or a dad who's going to tell us about a tough situation in their lives and that they were willing to give us a chance and that these guys came through for them. And they will send an email about how that week in their kids' lives made such an impact in their family. And we get emails from people who years down the road will email us and say, you know what, I came to your summer camp when I was 10 years old, and man, I'm now a Christian because of that. There is fruit and there are seeds that are sown, and it is an amazing way that God gives us the privilege of being a light. And so I'm going to pray for them, but what I'd encourage you to do is I would encourage you on the way out to grab a bulletin because there's this bookmark in there. And this bookmark gives you every day of the week a prayer request uh, and how you can be praying for them. And prayer is the most important thing we can give to them. And so I'd encourage you to grab this, and will you commit with me to praying regularly for them 
On the back, we also have a team who left yesterday to go to the Dominican Republic. We prayed over them, and you met the lady who they're working with. There's ways to pray for that team as well, another group who's serving Jesus. But, man, I'm just going to pray for you guys. I'm going to pray for unity. I'm going to pray for patience. I'm going to pray for health. I'm going to pray for safety. I'm going to pray that that amazing fruit punch you give all the kids doesn't give on your gray shirts. Um, and I'm just excited, and we're excited. So on behalf of all, I'd invite you. Um, let me just pray over them. Father. You are gracious to give us this facility, this space, which is something you ask us to steward. And it is an honor to open it up for the community and to families and to just do what we can to show love to them. And so I pray, Father, for the folks behind me and the folks who aren't in the room today who are stepping out uh, to serve you this week. I do pray that you will be in their hearts, that you will protect them from uh, worry, that you'll help everything logistically to go well, that among the team there will be just great unity and there won't be conflict and there'll be amazing relationships that are formed and all the people serving. I pray for safety for all the people who are coming, God. And, and most importantly, we pray that you will use these next seven days, six, five days in the life of these young kids, Father, to plant seeds to plant seeds through the work of the people behind me for the good of your kingdom and that lives will be changed for eternity through the power of your spirit. So be with them, Father, and thank you for the privilege of letting us do this. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, hey, you can stay up here during the rest of my sermon. Actually, you can't because two people will be like, okay, uh, you can't. So you're going to be standing up all week so you can go back to the amazing blue chairs and get a little more rest for the next however many minutes we have together. But man, thank you all. Let's give these guys a round of applause. All right, as they're heading off, we're, we're, we're not going to be here all day. We're, getting, we're almost done, right? The next thing we moved into after the seven churches was um, in chapter 4. We now moved into Revelation chapter 4, and the summary of what we saw in Revelation chapter 4, if you're wondering what Revelation 4 is about, it was a description of the present worship of God. It's this amazing chapter that's kind of this... this summary statement between, hey, churches, here's what you're doing great, here's what you need to do better, and then all sorts of stuff about the future. But this, before we get into all that, man, it's just this picture of God. It's just this time out to say, churches, let me remind you about the God that you're worshiping. And Christians, let me remind you about the God who's in charge of everything that's going to come down the road that you may experience. It was super symbolic. If you read back through it, there's seas of glass, there's thrones of crystals, there's rainbows, and the key verses were these verses, if you just want to know the heart of the text, Revelation 4, 8, and then verse 11. And here's what those verses say. It talks about how there's a throne and the, there's living creatures around that throne who have eyes all around them. We impact all the symbolism of this. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. In verse 11, it tells how these spiritual leaders and spiritual figures are casting their crowns before him, realizing that they just need to submit to him and to who he is. And they're saying these words, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed 
and they were created. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And as we thought about the praise and the worship that's occurring right now, we saw attributes of the God who's being worshipped, and we saw this attribute that just continues to shine through the book of Revelation, and it's this, it's the sovereignty of God. Here's the takeaway. God is in control. The takeaway of who was, who is, and is to come is that anything that has happened, anything that is happening, anything that will happen, he is over it all. From the beginning of your story to the end of your story to the middle of your story to this moment in your story, he is over it all and he is in control of it all and he is worthy of it all. God is in control. And so from that sermon, this is the application that we pulled. For some of us this morning, some of us feel so out of control. We don't know what's going to happen in our marriage. We've lost our job. We don't know what's going to happen in our job. Maybe some of you have some test results back. You don't know what's going to happen in your test results. Man, your kids, your parents who are getting older, and for some of us, we just feel, and you just feel out of control. And here was the challenge. Instead of trying to control what you are powerless to control, worship the one who is in control. Maybe for some of you, that's the only reason you're here this morning. Because you've had anxiety running through you because you can't control it all. And the more you're trying to control it all, the more you realize, okay, I'm just grabbing at the fog trying to control it. And the more you feel like you're grabbing at the fog trying to control it, the more it makes you want to control it. And the more you want to control it, the more you realize you can't control it. The more you can't control it, the more you want to control it. And it's just, and it's like warp speed. And this morning, maybe you were anxious last night, you were anxious last week, you are worried about tomorrow. And what God is trying to tell you is, Be still and know that I am God. Maybe for you, the only reason you're here is because God wants to remind you, be still and know that I am God. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, make your requests known to the Lord through prayer and supplication. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God is in control. And instead of trying to control what you are powerless to control, worship the one who is in control. And if you don't need that today, there's going to be some day that we all need those words. 
And maybe for some of you it's today, maybe for some of you it's one day. But that's what we saw from chapter 4. And then after chapter 4, we moved into chapter 5. Chapter 5 is what you got started to get up early for, right? Some of you got up early and all you wanted to think about was the Antichrist. Well, I just want to talk about the Antichrist, right? Well, hey, chapter 5, we started to get on the roller coaster ride that you wanted to be on. And chapter 5, what we said, this is where we had amazing big words about how you might be able to understand the book of Revelation. And we said there were some different options, right? And, and we said there's the historicist view. Probably not true. We said there's the preterist view. Anybody remember that word? Great word. Don't worry. We're going to get to the real word in a minute. And we said preterist is kind of compelling, right? Good Christian people are following the line of all of these. We just got to pick a path. We may have picked the wrong path. Preterist was compelling, meaning it talked about things that happened to Christians through Nero and the Roman Empire persecuting them. The dates are a little weird, so we're like, eh, but I could be wrong. And so we said, here's the path we're going to take. What is the perspective for the book of Revelation we're going to take? Come on, make me pro. Yes! Boy, two cups of coffee today for every single person in the house, right? What we said is we're taking a futurist perspective that what chapter 5 and beyond are talking about are things that are yet to come and things that are yet to happen in the future. And so we moved into that discussion in chapter 5, and, and we did this with this super symbolic chapter. You may not remember it, but it began the discussion with a scroll with a lot of seals on it. And we spent a few moments talking about there's this vision of this scroll with these seals and what's all that about, what we talked about in Revelation 5, right? I Verse 1, I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven scrolls. We said symbolically that scroll could represent God's rescue plan or it could represent a deed to the earth that God was trying to say like, man, who's entitled to get to the earth? But what was implied through those symbols is what's implied in the first few verses of chapter 5 we saw is this, that the world is broken and needs fixing. There's this scroll that either has this rescue plan to fix things because things need to be fixed, or this scroll that is the deed to the earth because somebody's got to take ownership of this thing and fix it. But the problem was there were all these seals on it. And, and so John's sitting around and he's realizing John is in house arrest apart from his community, apart from his struggling, right? He's knowing that other of his Christian friends have been arrested, maybe even killed. He, he's looking out at the culture that he lives in this moment and he himself would like, man, things are broken. And this is not the world that we're supposed to live in and it's got to be fixed. And symbolically, he would start to understand that through this scroll. But the problem was the fixing couldn't happen because there were these seals on the scroll. And what happened was that the question was, hey, is anybody going to be able to fix it? And there's this people looking around heaven in this vision. And they're like, hey, who's going to step up to bat? And there was nobody who was found at first to step up to bat. And so John, as we'll see in a minute in some of these verses, man, he was broken, and he was weeping. And then somebody said, hey, hey, don't weep anymore, because there's the king who's going to fix it. The, the key verses of this were verse, as you see, chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And here's what I just summarized, but let's read it together. 
And no one in heaven or earth or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I'll invite the worship team to start making their way up here. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. The, what I just said 30 seconds ago that John has experienced, it is, it is broken. I am wounded. I'm not the person I'm supposed to be, John's realizing. The world's not supposed to be. This needs to be fixed. And it just doesn't seem like there's anybody to fix it. And John began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then, right, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The, the section summary is this, that the world needs fixing and only Jesus is able and worthy to fix it. And, and so here's the takeaway this morning. This is it, right? The world needs fixing. Only Jesus is able to fix it. And so turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you're feeling brokenness in your story, if you're feeling brokenness in yourself, if you're weeping because you're looking around at things in your culture and your family and your world, and you're like, is this ever going to get any better? It's going to get worse. But one day it's going to be better. And it's not going to be better because of a politician. It's not going to be better because of a false worldview. It's not going to be better because you try to be really nice to people. It's ultimately only going to be better because the king is coming. And the king, Jesus, is the only one who is able to fix it. And so turn your eyes upon Jesus. And from chapter 5 through last week, right, we spent a whole lot of time talking about a whole lot of stuff about what's involved in King Jesus coming to fix it. And we're going to surround, talk about that later in August, and then next Sunday what we're going to start to kick off is, okay, as Jesus fixes it and the hope of being it all fixed, what does that ultimate hope look like when the king fixes it? And so what I'd love to do as we close our time together, we're going to sing a song that's old, may be familiar to some of you, may not be familiar to some of you, but I think it's a great song of this team's pick just to kind of wind this sermon down, How Great Thou Art. And there's this amazing line in there that says, When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation. And what I would love, man, together... Like we talked about last week, when we sing, and I'm going to invite you to stand up, when we sing, what we do is we're, we're, we're singing these songs to affirm truth. We are singing this to give worth to God, to worship God, to say through my song and through these words, this is a way that I can say you are worthy. But we're also doing another thing. What we're doing is this, that for the person next to you who's having one of the toughest days of their lives who believes in Jesus... What you're doing through your words is you're helping bolster them and you're affirming them, look, bro, one day the king is coming and one day it's going to be fixed. And when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation, what joy shall fill our hearts. When we sing that, let's sing that, affirming that for one another, the King Jesus is coming to fix it. Let's sing that line, affirming and giving worth to God that he is not stagnant, he is not vacant, he is not uninterested, he is sending the King to fix it all. And let's sing that line to one another, 
affirming and helping each other cling for one more day to the hope that there is a day when joy is such joy will fill my heart and it is linked to when Jesus comes with shouts of acclamation. Let me pray and then we're going to sing. Father, thank you that the King is coming. Thank you. You, that you're a God who gives hope, and you've given these verses to us in this book to us for hope. And I pray that as we end our time together as a body singing this, that this will be worship of our King from our hearts. This will be affirming the truths for one another. And Father, it will be together as a body, we're speaking truth into each other's lives. Will you be honored, King Jesus, by these few moments of worship of you through song? Amen. Mm-hmm.